Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, both of these things, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, you know, just what it takes to be a person who writes, uh, as well as some video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Uh, my conversation with YA author Jason Reynolds is up there now. He's a great guy. Oh, we had a lot of fun talking about writing and poetry and track. Yes, running track and field, something he and I both have in common. He'd written a, f- a very popular series about that. And uh, we got a good one coming up next uh, next month with a well, I'm not going to talk about it. This is another good interview. I did it last week. It was good. We'll post it. I'll talk about it when it's time. Anyway, we are also funded by the – anyway, oh, I should say, you can learn more about Author Magazine at authormagazine.org. Yes, there. Go there to learn about it. Also, we are funded by the fabulous people over at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They've been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955, and they just did their writers' conference, their virtual conference in September. It was great. Of course, we liked it so much, we're going to do a little mini conference. Yes, they are. In January, this is going to be just all about craft, no pitching, no editors and agents, nothing against editors and agents. Some of my best friends are editors and agents, but this is just going to be about learning and craft, no pressure. It's going to be all virtual. Two days, I'm going to be teaching. I think the art of, oh, I'm going to be teaching about uh, how to write a book proposal. Yes, that's right. I'm going to teach that. So if you're interested in that, no information out there yet on the internet. This is the first you've heard of it, but we're going to do it. And uh, when it's ready, you'll be able to learn about that at pnwa.org. Yes, you do. Now, last week, uh, uh, if you were listening, I was in the middle of a fabulous conversation with Clifford Brooks, poet and editor Clifford Brooks. When what happened? Zappo, I vanished. Your host disappeared. Well, why is that? Because like a lot of podcasters, I do this out of my home. I have a little studio here. and The power went out. Big wind was blowing outside. Boom! Took my power away. So that's what happened to that. Sorry about that. But you know what? I was having such a good conversation with him. I'm having him back November 4th on a Wednesday, the day after the election. I'm not going to do anything on the day of the election. My mind won't be where it needs to be. But it's going to be the day after. So we're going to have Clifford back. We're going to finish that conversation. It'll be great. All right. Now, speaking of the life we lead, the books we write and the lives we lead, uh, today's guest... Bridget Dengle Gaspard is all about helping people lead the life they actually want to lead, meet their goals, and so on. She is the author of The Final Eight and uh, the founder of the New York Voice Dialogue Institute. She is a former performer who earned a master's degree from Columbia University and teaches at numerous professional settings, including the Omega Institute. She lives in New York City, where she maintains a thriving practice with us now, Bridget. Bridget, how are you doing? Great. How are you doing? Ah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm having you on. You're going to solve all my problems for me. You're going to have oh, me meet all my... Well, we'll get to me later. We'll get to me and my troubles later. Uh, let's start with you, Bridget. Um, so talk to me about how you came to this teaching. You're a performer. Uh by the sound of your voice, I put you on stage. Were you talking or singing or both when you were performing? 
I was talking, but I also did comedy, so that's when I would sing, because it would only be good with a comic reason for me to be doing any kind of tune. And when you did comedy, did you do improv comedy or sketch comedy, or what kind of comedy did you do? All of the above, including stand-up, and that was part of my writing adventure, because I was a performer, your regular run-of-the-mill performer in the sense that I was doing little bits on, like, in those days, soap operas and things like that. And I realized you get more respect when you were also a writer, and you could also have more control over your career. And so um, that's – so I put – I added writing to my performing career, and it was great fun and terrifying. And truly, after you do stand-up and after you bomb, because you must – yeah, yeah, everything is easier. Everything Man, is easier. Uh, my hat goes off to you. I did sketch comedy, and I, I, I kind of would like. I remember my feeling was like I was glancing sideways at the stand-up stage, thinking, "Dare I?" And I oh. never did. My brother did it. My brother did it and did pretty well with it. Shortly, he gave it a try and was and was came pretty natural to him. But I just thought, I don't know that me and the audience in that. I would. I you know, there's a story about Larry David the first time he did stand up where he would be doing it and people would be sort of like talking or heckling him. And he'd just get mad. I'm like, Hey, I'm telling jokes. What are you doing? Stop that. And I felt like that's what I would have been like, but, but okay. So you did stand up good for you, you brave woman. And you must've liked it also, or was it just bombing and learning from that? Or did you actually experience some laughs? Well, the other side is the euphoria of the laughter. So that you, and then just the terrifying, will it be the euphoria or will it be utter death and the vacuum of the universe? But there's (laughs) nothing like having everyone howl of laughter and get that second wave. And those were fun skills. Like you you can't move so quickly into your next joke if they're laughing because they won't hear it. And then they won't laugh. And you'll think it's because it wasn't funny. But it's not, it, it may or may not have been funny, but they literally didn't hear it, so they can't laugh. And that yeah. was fun to, like, ride the wave. Yeah. Yeah, stand-up, and, and it, sketch comedy was a little bit like this, because what I did was sort of a blend of sketch and stand-up. But you're, you're so tuning into what's happening in that space. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're reading the audience. You're feeling that moment. It's, it's, it's such a unique I mean, every performance is unique in that way. You can memorize your bits and da 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 da, but you've got to be present and reacting to what is happening right there. I think it's one and, of the most alive yeah. experiences. And then you that can rule, have. the yes and. I mean, what a great rule yes. to learn for life. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you're a performer. That is great. You know, it's an interesting thing. There's a, a, some, a number of stand up comedians have moved from stand up comedy, some have moved to like, public speaking, inspirational speaking, that sort of thing. And it seems like a natural fit because to some degree, a stand-up comedian is, it's really like, I mean, I do a lot of public speaking and I feel like I'm a stand-up comic, except that I just don't have to get laughs all the time. I can also, you know, but it's just me and a microphone in an audience and I'm reading the audience and trying to inspire them, entertain them. And it seems like a natural fit to go from stand-up to, to that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I could, I'm sure you're funny because I, I, even when I listen to your podcasts, you do, I, I can tell you jump in and out and um, it, yeah, I, I it do is like a natural. 
it is a natural thing. Okay, oh, so all right, so you're performing. You're doing. You're doing some. So you're I'm doing, a, you're I, in New York. I, I, yeah, I self-define as a former performer. So gotcha. I used to perform. Right. Um, so now my performing is more in the teaching and the presenting, as you said, in the speaking. But so I was performing in New York City a long time ago for a long time, and I was right. looking for creativity tools. And so I also uh-huh. did improv, which I loved. And yeah. I stumbled upon this thing called voice dialogue. And I just read about it and it electrified me. And so I hunted down the creators who are Drs. Hal and Sidra Stone. And it's this technique right. where you literally dialogue with different parts of yourself. And mm-hmm. so I was like, this is fabulous because it's so good for auditioning when you need to get into uh, different energies, especially if right. they're not your primary energies, but yep. also for the writing. But what happened is I got, as I got my own voice dialogue sessions and was facilitated in different parts of myself, also because I had healing to do, I had some yeah. issues to work out, I started to see the healing power that was incredibly deep and quick of when people just embodied, gave themselves permission to go to parts of themselves they never had entered before. Yeah. And it was such a full-body experience because, of course, everything that we do is really a physiological experience. And often I think writers are not as connected to that truth. Yeah. That, yes, yeah. writing is a head thing with your hands in solitary and sitting often, but that's when I went back to school and ended up becoming a therapist and getting a master's because I was so enthralled with the healing aspects. And so I got clinical training and experience, and then I could really put together all the creativity tools and right. and, and move it toward healing and just the tragedy of stuckness, to be honest. It's like yeah. the unlived life when is really, I just think it's one of those quiet really sad tragedies it just quietly kind of drowns there's often it's just like oh i gave up that dream but then when you explore it's really profound and also the great thing is you can often go back to it no matter how long ago you left it it may have to be a different version from your eight-year-old idea versus your 48-year-old idea but even with you, if you decided you were going to be, when you're 95, you're going to go try out that stand-up stage, you actually could. Yeah. You know, I, 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 one of my passions is music, but it's, it's a private passion. I, I, I didn't want to be a musician. I just didn't think that was a fit, but I love it. I write it. I, um, but singing was a big thing because I really mm. was told I had a bad voice, you know, early on. And, but I kind of wasn't sure if that was true. And just recently I let myself, I sang some things and recorded it. And I was like, you know, I like my voice actually, but just the thought you don't have a good voice keeps you from allowing your voice to be what it could be. And as soon as I I heard my voice and said, I like that, it changed like that. And I let myself sing. It was really dramatic. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. It and took why, a while. Why, why are people told they have a bad voice? It's, it's well, like you I couldn't hit the notes. And I have no when idea. I, was a kid. I couldn't hit the notes right. when I was a kid. And, but it was funny because when I was 21, I was, we were going to be in this little band, and I had some drinks. I had a couple drinks, and I started singing, and my girlfriend was like, Bill, you're on key. What happened? I was like, I don't know. I just guess I felt the spirit. Or, but I just loosened up. It was so mental to hitting the notes, you know, and I just wasn't subconscious. Uh, All right. So you, so you, 
found the the voice. So it's called voice dial. What, what's what's it called? It's the it's called yeah, voice voice dialogue. You had it exactly okay. right. And it sort of you know it reminds me of Gestalt therapy a little bit. Uh, even though I'm not, I don't know it that well, but I know a little bit about it. And that you're going into yourself and talking to aspects of yourself. But in this, you literally have essentially like characters within yourself: the coach, the achiever, the the crook, the bait, I mean, all these different yeah. sort of named parts of yourself that you need to give voice to and that are often the ones keeping you quietly, keeping you from having the thing you want, whatever that is. Is that a fair little summation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we call them inner selves, subpersonalities, arc, um, uh, alter egos, that's exactly right. right. You could call them yeah. characters, but they are but they are real parts of you. They're not. It's not role playing. You know, right. you could you could role play something as a, your inner lawyer or your inner seductress. So it's part of you that you bring, um, and that's that's the voice dialogue part. And then you could, uh, in terms of actually sketch comedy, you know, having a lawyer. If you if the plot is that you have to play a lawyer, but you bring it in as in one of your seducing energies, that's often where you get the laughs because it's opposite right. than what you're right, expecting. Right. And I love the, I love the title of the book, uh, the final eighth and, and um, tell our listeners what the final eighth is. What is that final eighth? And why is that the, the name of the book? Yeah. So the final eighth is this term that I coined out of my private practice. After a while, I suddenly it came out whole, like, oh, my gosh, my clients are having final eighth issues. It's when dedicated, talented, hardworking people get seven eighths of the way there. And these are yeah. the people I had worked with for a while, so I knew they were doing everything right. And they would just stop inside of the finish line and were so upset and didn't understand why, as was I. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And then I realized there are parts of them that actually are against the goal. We do yeah. not want our goal with every fiber of our being. We think we do. Yeah. And yeah. that those parts have wisdom. They're not the problem. Within them is the solution. Yes, yes. That's the, that's the tricky part, is they're not just these, like, jerks that are there right. for no real reason. They just want to screw everything up. It's like almost like a misinterpretation of what they're trying to give you, right? Yes. That's a perfect yeah. way to put it. It's an utter yeah. misinterpretation. And you believe the misinterpretation and sure. it's not true. Yeah. You know, it reminds me, I was thinking of this as I was reading your book. I was thinking about I put my last book I published, Fearless Writing. Um, we had it out with a bunch of publishers. And I really wanted to publish this book, or so I thought. And um, I think we'd heard back from one publisher saying, nah, 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 nah. and it was on a Friday. And I said to myself, do you want to publish this book, Bill? You know, cause I wanted to do, this would be the first book with like a bigger publisher. And, and I was like, I don't, I'm feeling a no actually, oh. you know? And I said, why, why am I feeling that? And I thought, because you think you have to publish it just so you can be successful. Like the only driving is uh. like, I've done it. And so I said, okay, that's no good. And I said to myself, well, why would you want to do it? Well, I love working with editors. It's fun to work with editors. It's fun to get. And I started thinking about all the fun of sharing my work because I had worked with editors in newspapers and magazines and stuff. So I started thinking of the fun of what it would be to share the book. And I was like, yes, now I want to do it. And on Monday, we heard from the publisher. 
Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. And I can't, and I can't guarantee you the two things were connected, but it sure felt that way. But I said, I got to make this fun or I will figure out a way to screw it up if it's not fun to me because I want to have fun all the time. Yeah. Does that make, so is that kind of yes. a seven, a fi, is that a final eighth kind of thing? That's, that is the final eighth phenomenon. And what you did was absolutely in the spirit of what my book is about. You entered the question. Like, yeah. do you, you literally asked and you were curious about the answer. You didn't yes. just assume an answer. You're like, no. all right, do I want it? Well, okay, what do I like about it? Oh, the real answer is that then this book will somehow make me feel better as a human because I'll be successful. Right. Well, that's bad math, right? Now Every I'll deserve time. That's love. never going to work. Right. Now I'm worthy. Yeah, now that doesn't work. No, no, no success is going to take away your worthless wounding. You no. have to go in there and realize, wow, I was misinformed and I'm not worthless. But it takes courage to do that. However, yeah. it's liberating when you do. Yeah. And, you know, how often do you, in your work, are you dealing with people? Because I would think that that math, like you said, of is, that some that if we have different parts, we're going to reject the math that says you, you need this to be valuable because that means you aren't valuable now. And some part of you has to reject that, right? Exactly. Has to reject it. You can't actually accept that. Even though you set up the math, like I need this to be valuable. That means I'm not valuable now. I reject So you're in constant conflict over that requirement you put on yourself. Yes. And I call that the double bind. And if, if you cannot resolve a double bind, and I talk about that in my book, because a right. lot of people don't understand that, and then they get seduced by the double bind, and they can spend yeah. years there going vacillating back and forth. I'm worthy. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm worthy. No, I'm not. And yeah. So in my book, it's like, hey, let's get out of that paradigm. It's a, yeah. it's a mirage goal, and it's blinding you from moving into your actual final ace goal. Right, which is just allowing it. It's really just allowing it. Yeah. It is getting out of the way. And so you must, okay, so can you remember, obviously you did some work with yourself without having to tell me all the stuff you had to work on. Can you remember when you first reached, completed the final eighth for yourself, saw yourself doing it and said, oh, oh, well, and it's, can you remember? I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll answer your question kind of backwards. It's, okay. it's I'll, I'll, in other words, the times that I did not, the final oh, eight, yeah, 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 and yeah. I was the only reason I didn't. So yeah. the other thing that's dangerous for many people is when the universe says yes, and then there's yes. nothing between you and your goal except <laughs> yep. you, and then yep. you blow it. So, so yep. it was a few very painful experiences that I went through where, like, I just didn't have the courage. I didn't. And uh, to to move into the unknown, and, and I talk about that in my book. And so I have parts that were devoted, I came to find out, to my own core negative beliefs that I'm not yeah. good enough. And right. so what happens right. is those parts are like, wait a minute, how can, if you're, it's okay, you have permission to be a contender, you have permission to work right. really hard, and, and you're right. creative anyway, but you don't have inner permission to be a victor, to own right. the final eighth. And so yeah. that's when I realized certain parts were really dedicated, and it's a distorted loyalty to early caregivers. It's like yeah. you, we love our parents, and if they give us misinformation, we believe it partly just because we love them and they want us to believe it. And, yeah. and so 
that way of loving these parts that in an act of love actually kind of worked against you for a while, it's like you can welcome them home and say, how great that you're here, and you hold this part of my story. You can't do, um, what is that? You can't do a a jump over your story. You've got to process the different parts of yourself. And then I even talk about the final eighth in terms of my book. When I finally finished it, because for years I used to say, I'm, work, I'm not quite finished with my book on right. finishing. Right. Um, <laughs> and then I, I, I remember when I finished, and I, I, it was so quiet. It was a lovely, quiet, sweet moment. And yeah. I'm like, I have nothing more to say. That doesn't mean my work with the book, like you said, wasn't done. Like right. there's publishing is the next step. And, but, but I, it was... That was a surprise, and it was so satisfying and complete, like, I have nothing more to say. And, and then I entered a first ace, which was then right. moving into right. uh, getting a publisher and all yeah. of that stuff, and then yeah. working with the publisher and editing. And so the great news is that if you're lucky enough to have a final ace, you get to move into a first ace. And yeah. a lot of these are success issues. Like what do Olympic winners do the day after they're yeah. given their gold medal? Yeah. I mean, they have yeah. big decisions to make. And many people are stuck, and I would say this goes with writers in particular, because they don't want to face the empty canvas. They don't want yeah. the first ace. They don't realize that. But if they're still stuck in the final ace, then they don't have to look beyond Let's say I finish this book, then I have to feel all these feelings. I have to do all this other stuff. And what about what if I never have another good idea? All of those uh, fears that they'll have to address. You know, so much of this work, and I love this work. I love what you're doing, and it's some of what I do. I don't do it as I'm not as much of a coach as you are, but I love coaching and just writing about this. But a lot of it comes down to saying, "Look, I'm the problem." Or I am the, it is my thinking and beliefs that are between me and the thing I want. It's not the world. Right. It's not people. It's not anybody else. And, you know, to me, this is power. To me, this is yeah. freedom. But, but yeah. what I have noticed is how, depending how you talk to people about it, um, it can be challenging sometimes for people to hear it because they feel blamed. They feel like, yeah. right, I, I, I don't want to feel because they don't want to feel blamed. Like it's all my fault and you're blaming the victim and this sort of thing. So how do you deal with people's, maybe they don't have any resistance to that, but I've run into that when I'm maybe a little sloppy in how I talk about it. I've run into that too. I think it's, well, underneath that is a lot of pain, right? The blame is a way to not feel the pain. And so the way I do it is it's like, oh, it's more like, all right, so what's going on? And you're right. It is an inside job, but when you explore the different parts of yourself, what about the self that uh, spaces out and then misses deadlines? You know, some of these right. selves are quite tricky. They don't look like the obvious resistance. And then you find the parts that, that were what we would call self-sabotaging, but they'd have their own wisdom. Every single part has the noble purpose of protection yep. and their own wisdom. So yep. when you find out, oh, you you know, there's always wisdom. And like maybe a self wasn't going to let you move ahead because, and this happened with a client, that self reveals that the client has a potential drinking problem. And if she gets more successful, then more socializing is going to be demanded of her in this particular field she was in. And so then our work switched to, well, how are you going to be able to make boundaries, say no, manage your drinking? Right, right. And so 
then it's not about blaming because you get underneath what is the knot. And then we unknot it by letting it, the wisdom unfold and then dealing with it directly because often these then they don't feel blamed because in right. fact they feel like fine I'm validated fine thank you for listening to me I'm I'm glad somebody's believing me that there was a problem here yeah yeah well it's it's good and you know I I heard you say something earlier when you talked about your own stuff you were dealing with which is I'm just not you know not being good enough yeah. Do you think I, maybe it's because my next book is about that, but this has been on my mind and that thought good enough. I, I, the more I've talked to people and written about it, thought about it, it seems like that thought is as ubiquitous almost as falling in love. I just feel like it's, it's in everybody on some level, on some level about something, being good enough, whatever that means. Have you found that to be the case? Absolutely. And, and, you know, the bigger answer of why, I honestly wonder if there's some evolutionary reason because it's so ubiquitous. Um, So all of those beliefs are come from our ancestors, right? So they're passed down in some way. So the other thing that I love about using the tool of voice dialogue is that we find out what's the gift and so what is the gift of not feeling good enough? Maybe you were brought up in a house where the parents were envious of the children and you didn't want to trigger envy. I talk right. about envy a lot in my book because yeah. what people don't realize, the little known secret is that being envied is as painful as envy. Yes, yes. I have been envied. I mean, and yeah. I have envied, but I've been it? envied. And it's no, because you feel like you're not it's a part awful. of the group anymore. It is. It is. It is. If you have any it's a sense rejection, of really, it is. and yet people think you're. It, but 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 it gets so clouded because it's also so painful physiologically. Both ends of that coin yeah. to be envied yes. as well as envying. Yes. It's such a physiologically painful state that um, people get blinded by it. But no, yeah. and I. So I think a lot of that good enough. It's a way to stay safe and not. Um, be worrisome to the people in in charge. Right. You know, great literature, Shakespeare talks about that amongst kings and peasants. And so I hadn't quite thought of it the way we're talking about it, but I I think it's a, and so I, again, we think, all right, what's a, it's got to be a form of protection. What are you protecting by believing this? And then there's a lot of grief. But then the great thing about having grief is that it resolves. You can it, it passes, and so you can grieve that you once believed that false. Right. You right, you can right. grieve that you actually made decisions as if it was true, and it wasn't yeah. true. Yeah. You know, and then, you, like you said, a... you're liberated from it once you process it. You're like, wow. Yeah. I don't have to. This is just not how I am anymore, and it's so energizing because you get your oh. energy back. Well, because that, you know, I always say about writing is writing is simple if all you're doing is writing. If you're not trying to prove your worth, if you're not Mm. trying to prove that you're smart enough or clever enough, if all you're trying to do is tell a story, it's actually not that immensely complicated, but we complicate it because there's so much else that's heaped on to the, to the, you know, and I count your book as a story, anything that's that oh, tells yeah. some kind of a narrative. Like, it's yeah. a story. And, and then it gets yeah. complicated. 
and we make it complicated, but it doesn't actually have to be complicated. But we, and, 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 but the reason I think of that is that when I have let certain thoughts go and I have let a number of them go in my life, it is like lifting a weight off because that thought of what if I'm not good enough or what if I can't or what's wrong with me or shame or whatever it is, it's just you're carrying it around and carrying around. It prohibits you and it blocks energy. And then it's just, oh, when it's gone, you think, God, the life, I could have been living this way the yeah. whole damn time. <laughs> but you mustn't mourn that. You, gotta, you know what the thing is, Bridget, because you and I do similar work. I, I spent a lot of time suffering because of the choices I made. Couldn't be as good a writer and as useful a writer and coach and just person without that. I don't know how I would have learned what I learned without all that stuff suffering, for lack of a better word. I agree. It, it really is a gift, and I know that sounds like a cliche, especially no, for but people it is. early in their path, but it's, it is. And you're right. There's no way I could know what I know. No. Um, it's now my superpowers. The, That's right. Having gone through, I'm literally, I feel like, oh, I got this. And I sure didn't, and I wouldn't have, because I wouldn't have the eyesight. And in terms of writing, like what you're talking about, it's like, I see this, and I see that, because I struggled with this or that. That's right. That's right. And the thing is, although you've trained in it and you've helped a lot of people, I suspect that it was your experience of thinking things and then letting them go and using some of these techniques to let them go that really gives you your authority. It's having lived it Absolutely. and gone through it because all the coaching helps, but there's nothing like having done it and then gotten through it to know, yes, to, and to let you speak with a level of authority you cannot get from the classroom. Period. I, I agree completely. I consider myself a wounded healer, and to me that's an honorable <laughs> – like, I, I was the first part. I didn't know if I'd get to the second part, but now I'm both. I'm a wounded healer. Yeah, so that's, that's great. The final ace is my story. That's great. Well, listen, Bridget, uh, I could talk to you for a very long time. You're such an interesting person. I feel like you have helped me a little in my just, – just with your vibe, if nothing else. If other people <laughs> – listening think oh i got it besides the book of course i can get the book but if they're interested in you and working with you i assume you do like virtual coaching and stuff if you need to absolutely yeah so okay the how fi- do they do yeah, that they can, the final com is they can come at, and to the site and of course please feel free to contact me i'm all over the social media bridget dangle gaspard and the other thing is every third Thursday of the month at 8 p.m. Eastern, I have a free voice dialogue demonstration Zoom shop with my colleague. And we do two Ooh. basic demonstrations so people can actually see it. So when they're working nice. in the book, they can actually go, oh, so that's how it works. Um, oh, and nice. Just, yeah. So con- they can contact me directly, and I'll give them that month's Zoom information. And everyone is welcome. And if you miss it this month, we're going to have it next month. This is ongoing and it's free. And it's a oh, great combo with the book. That is great. I like it. I might have to do something like that myself I, now that I think about it. Yeah. That's come, excellent, we'll come visit one Thursday. So, Bridget, uh, all right, I got one more question for you. I got one more question for you. And what I want you to do is finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? That it is a beautiful place to put the unspoken words that did not happen to you that day. Ooh. Huh, I like that. I've asked that question maybe a thousand times. That's the first time I've gotten that answer. I like it. Ooh. I like it. I like it, Bridget. Listen, uh, I, I love the work you're doing. Uh, I liked the book. I'm glad it got sent to me. And uh, 
enjoy this work and uh, hey, maybe another book will be forthcoming from you. Yes, and thanks for having me and I wish you the best. I love all of oh, what you're you. doing and thank your you. energy, so thanks. You're very welcome. Take it easy. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, the unspoken words. Always starts unspoken. Uh, everybody listen, so I'll be back again next week. Yes, I will. Be back again next week. We're doing this one more time. Thank you to my producer, RJ Jeffries. You're awesome. And thank you to all of you out there. Go find something you love to do and uh, do it. Bye.